Scientology classic. <laughs> don't ever do that again. No, is that something? I've got a no. whole bunch of ways we should lead into no, these. You don't think no. that's the way to you do want, it? You want to? If you want an ASMR uh, kind of <laughs> kind of intro, we'll we'll get somebody else to do it. Okay. Oh, I was really I was hoping that was going to work. No, no, you sounded kind of phlegmy. It was not. It was not good. <laughs> oh well, well, then I better fix my throat. Hold on. There we go. Right. Um, oh, I, okay, well, so much for that. I had such plans. Here we are. We're going to talk about. I've been practicing well, that. You've been practicing that? Hopnology yes. classic. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, hi. <laughs> oh, my. Cold, cold start. We are, uh, this is the first in our series of re-airing the Hopnology classic episodes. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. So the fun part of this is we get to re-listen to them. Yes. From and years and years ago. Yes, many years ago. 170 episodes ago. So that's 170 weeks ago. Mm-hmm. That's, that's lots. That's lots of time. Can't do the math today. But yeah, this is our, this was our first one. Our very first episode. And I have to say that for me, the thing that really stuck out was how slowly I spoke in order to be clear and enunciate. And probably, and what I noticed was how much post-editing I did. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I can hear it. And the just the audio quality has vastly mm-hmm. improved. Yes. Yes. That, that it definitely is. We, we've gotten better. We, we've certainly picked up better equipment along the way. Uh, even, even two or three episodes in, as we get further into this, I know for me, my cadence is faster. Like we, we start getting, I felt like that first one was pretty scripted. Oh, sure. But what was, what was really interesting to me about this. So this first episode you're about to hear is called who is hopnology. And it's really us talking through for the listeners, as well as for each other, what we plan to do with this. <laughs> Cause let's be honest, we were still figuring it out. Uh, Two things that I that I made note on that I thought were really interesting. One is that one or the other of us made a comment that what we really wanted out of this was to bring people together in the hop industry, and, and I'm so I was so happy to hear us talk about that then because I think now about what we've done and the Discord and we've connected folks from all over the world really with all this, and so you know um, achievement unlocked, as the kids say. <laughs> achievement unlocked, nice. <laughs> yes. Level up. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing that made me happy was that the old man, like, self-depreciation was already starting in episode one. That's who we are. It, it is. <laughs> well, you know, I feel like in the last three years, I've aged about eight years, so mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if, if I was more spry when we started this, but apparently, no. Nope. <sighs> nope. Not at all. Not going to have it. No, and I think that looking back, has much changed? No. I mean, nope. at Fundamentally, no, we are still who we were back then. That was still our mission and our vision. And I like to think that we accomplished a good deal of that. I think we did. I I, I feel good that we did, certainly. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Hopnology. I'm Greg. I'm James. And we really appreciate you joining us for this podcast. We, this is really our first big one. We've we put out a little intro there for you to understand what we're all about. But here we're going to get into really the nuts and bolts of 
what James and I have been doing for the past 10 years and what we've learned and what the point of hopnology really is. The point. I like that. What is the point? Mm -hmm. It changes day to day, I would have to say. <laughs> Sometimes it does, yes. Mm -hmm. Or how much we've had to drink. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Yes, there's always that. <laughs> so really what it comes down to, James and I have talked about this a lot, and we spent a lot of time discussing well, you know, who who needs to hear from our experience in the hop industry? It, it, it's growers, isn't it? Isn't it growers? They really, they need help getting started. They need help when they run into problems. But we've we've been educating growers. We've been working with them over the years. So So maybe it's brewers. And, you know, they need to understand better how to work with their hop suppliers, how to work locally. And, and they really could use our help. But you know what? Is it really them? It, maybe it's the consumers. The consumers don't really understand the perspective of what's gone on on those two other points of the triangle. And, and that's sort of when it hit us that this podcast and this this um, venture we're undertaking as Hopnology really isn't about any one of those three pieces. It's about all three pieces. And you'll hear us talking about it as a triangle where the three points are the consumer, the grower, and the brewer. Um, and the thing that we will commit to you as a listener is that every topic we talk about, even if it might center around growing or center around drinking, and let's face it, they all do, um, and maybe it centers around brewing, we will still make sure to discuss the impacts on all three points of that very important triangle or very important community, as you'll hear us referring to it. Community is a good word because it's... I think in the past, I've referred to this as a Venn diagram for all of you geeks out there, right? Where you've got these overlapping circles, right? One circle's a brewer, one circle's a grower, one circle's a taster or a consumer. And right where all three of those overlap, right? That nexus, the middle part is where we see hopnology, right? Where we want to touch every single group um, and, and make it relevant. So, but I think it's a, it's to, to, to really put this in perspective, um, we've had some time to think about this. So our history, right, for those of you who don't know, our history is uh, with Gorse Valley Hops. We started Gorse Valley Hops what seems like uh, a lifetime ago. In reality, I think it was only like 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the With the idea that, you know what, we wanted to grow a high-value crop on small areas of land that we could distribute to the local economy, like consume here, that we didn't have to create a market for. And so hops fit that bill in Wisconsin because, well, we drink a lot of beer and we have a lot of craft breweries. Uh, well, we have a lot of breweries, period. And so we we looked at it from that direction. And then sort of I rounded up all my friends who had expertise in various areas, business and finance and marketing and, and engineering and soil science and said, hey, um, let's let's build this company. And so we said, sure, what do we got to lose besides our minds? <laughs> um, the, uh, so, so that's really how it started. And then I think quickly what we discovered is that, holy crap, we don't know anything. Um, yep. And with all of our collective technical backgrounds, Right. And really coming at this as a as a technical problem solving project, we quickly discovered that, hmm, there is no manual on how to do this. Yeah, I think that's very important that you're right. We, we figured that we knew nothing, but we quickly realized that no one else did either. 
right? <laughs> and that no, was the, a good way. That was the opportunity. Totally good way to put that. And and we said, okay, well, we are going to grow hops, but we're also going to educate um, and teach people, basically distill down what we are finding from, you know, scientific journal articles and and old old texts and and and, and written you know, documents from some of them from the, literally from the late 1700s that Dan found um, and trying to figure out what the hell are these people talking about um, and really start drawing all this together. And it became the education and research portion became a huge uh, couple of pillars to uh, Gorse Valley Hops and their challenge uh, the, or the business process that we had. It, it really turns did. out. Well, and it turns out that before long, we were doing more of that than actual farming. Mm-hmm. And we that were. we found that the farming part was, well, at least personally for me, I love farming, but um, the farming part was not where we were finding we had the most impact. So we were very visible as a, you know, in the beer community and in our local communities um, because beer and hops were sexy still are but they certainly were 10 years ago and we got a lot of press and people saw what we were doing and really felt more like we were being stewards to this idea of you know farm to pint Mm -hmm. and when it all just became clear to us that what are we going to do are we going to continue to try and do everything and be sort of okay at everything or and granted we were okay farmers but we just really didn't have the time to dedicate to it or are we going to do something else yep and it really came down to the fact that where we had succeeded um the most i think over the years was at teaching conveying our learnings and you do get to that point where you say, you know what, I'm, I'm being sought after so much for, for our input and for what's worked for us and what hasn't worked for us that that seems to be the natural place to go with all of this. And it really isn't as easy as, well, just hire another somebody to do the farming for you. Mm-hmm. Like, what, are you kidding me? You know how many people actually know how to grow hops that, and they're not for hire. <laughs> so it's, it's just not that easy to say, yeah, okay. Yeah. James has got to be gone now for, for 30 some weeks out of the year, most of it during the growing season, because either people want consulting or teaching, or they've got to go do, you know, a lecture somewhere. Who's going to grow the damn crop. <laughs> right. So, right? To, so, so to put all that into perspective, again, to those who don't know Gorst Valley hops, so we uh, we started with what half an acre, I want to say. We yeah, not even, not even, just a, a little test plot, as we called it. We by the time we we ran the gamut on Gorst Valley, we were growing um, probably what eight to ten varieties at a time. Um, we had the first processing plant that was FDA certified in the Midwest. Um, we were consulting to breweries. Um, James is a, now a, a speaker with the Siebel Institute. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, workshops. workshops. How many Just hundreds or th- I'd say thousands of people have been through our thousands workshops Thousands of the people. It's ridiculous. I think when we, when we wrapped up Gorse Valley, um, we had done, I want to say, just locally, like in Madison, Wisconsin, we had done like 38 two-day workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
dozens and dozens of, of contract workshops all over the country. Yep. With and that folks... doesn't even, that doesn't even count like the, the, you know, having going and speaking at another conference on something, you know, totally different. So it was just, it was, it was too much. Oh, and then we had the greenhouse. Oh, right. I forgot about how many how many thousands of plants moved through that greenhouse over the years. Hundreds of thousands of plants through our biosecure greenhouse, you know, hot plants. And then we had buy and implement that we started to try and solve a problem for that really small scale startup quarter, half an acre hop grower who couldn't hand harvest. So, yeah, too many opportunities and just not enough, not enough <laughs> to go around. <laughs> Yes, a lot. So it, it maybe it's you know sounds a little like tooting our horn, but we um we've got a lot of experience just in and around the industry, and that's really the point of what we're doing here is to talk about the things we've observed, the thing not only the things we've learned from what we've tried to do, but we are you know in the industry and have seen other folks doing lots of things and succeeding and learning, um, and we want to share those stories with everyone because there's so much value there. You know, whether you're trying to get into this industry as a grower or a brewer, or if you're just a consumer and you enjoy, you know, if if you sit and you read the, um, you know, the brew news, free newspapers that show up at uh, at all the breweries you go to visit and you like understanding more about the industry, this is a place just to get some perspectives from some folks who've been on various sides of it over the years. Right. And I think, too, something that people have questions about is, well, what happened to Gorse Valley? Well, we sold it. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we spent over a decade building it, building a customer base, building a reputation. And we, we sold the brand to our good friend, Bill Arndt, at, uh, who's also a cranberry grower, uh, Arndt's Hop Haven. And he owns Gorse Valley Hops, the brand, in all of our drying technology that we developed over the years. And uh, we're, we're still very proud to, to be a part of that and very proud of Bill for, for building something so um, accommodating and and really, uh, really a, a force of, of good agriculture in the state of Wisconsin. So well done, Bill. Yep, absolutely. We are, we're thrilled to still be working with Bill. And certainly if you, if you need hops, www.gorsevalleyhops.com and Bill will help you out with that. Absolutely. Okay. There you go, Bill. Free plug. <laughs> um, so that's, that's our background with Gorse Valley. And we, we talked about uh, now we're Hopnology, uh, Greg and I, just the two of us. And, uh, really wanted to focus on bringing these three groups together. So it's it's a very difficult topic to get your hands around because there's so many moving parts uh, and there's you know so many inputs and outputs uh, and personalities and relationships and whatnot that it's we really thought it just deserved its own dedicated focus. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. I think that the thing I'm looking most forward to is uh, being able to relate or, you know, explain these interrelations to any one of the three groups that we're, we're going to be engaging with and say, you know, it's, it's not always going to, you're not going to be that guy, right? At the party who's going to always be uh, trying to you know, push an agenda, but it's, it, you know, to give, to give some background and a little bit broader context to, to the conversations folks are having, I hope that can be us. I, I agree. And, and for me, you know, the, the idea that we're, we're going to be trading in information 
and in um, in expertise and in history as opposed to trading in product and inventory. And as much as I love hops and I can, you know, I, I still know what I smell like after harvest. <laughs> um, I, I love the idea that we're getting into this, um, this higher level, more holistic view of what the industry is all about and, um, and being able to work with folks to your point on every side of the equation on that and really help bring a better, better understanding and hopefully bring some folks together, you know, Kumbaya, mm-hmm. join hands. Kumbaya, yeah. Yep. Shut up and drink. <laughs> what does that do? Uh-huh. Yeah, we really can drink while, you know, during every facet of this new venture, can't we? It's We dr- absolutely dr- can. Drink, drinking while you're harvesting is is a little dangerous depending on what you're up to, um, I'm going to say. Drink, but, um, drink after harvest. Yeah, yeah, after harvest. Don't, you know, not while you're up on the ladder pulling the binds down from 25 feet in the air. Um, not while you're operating the uh, the harvester, God forbid. Um, but when you're operating a microphone like this, uh, there's nothing wrong with it at all. Well, well I guess we're going to find out what the occupational hazards are of drinking and podcasting mm. in short order. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, what's on our list? Um, let's see. So... So what is it about the industry here? Why do we think there's a need for this, for these types of conversations and what um, and what we plan to talk about? Uh, a lot of it comes back to that issue of community we mentioned at the beginning and getting folks to talk to each other. So brewing is a business. It is a full-time um, business laden with expenses and timelines and challenges and hops at their very, you know, very bare bones component are just one ingredient into that business. Right. Um, growing is a business. Um, it is, it is difficult. You have um, financial expectations and issues there. You've got certainly uh, mother nature issues and uh, seasonality that goes on. But again, it's, it's a business. And as a grower, it's easy to think, okay, if I grow it, they will come. They will They will buy my hops, and it's great. All I've got to do is have a product out there. Uh, it's not that easy. Um, no, think, think about the market swing, right? Mm-hmm. So what is happening at the brewery level and in the beer community in general for market trends, and how is that going to impact the farmer? Hugely. That's how it's going to impact the farmer. Yep. The farmer can't pivot all that quickly. And I know brewers are out there thinking, well, neither can we. You know, we... Coming up with with new ideas and following the trends and getting the right sourcing of materials, it it takes time, and it certainly does, but it's not the same uh, lead time as it is to to rip out all of your cascade and put in um, some Centennial, because that's where the market is going. That's a multi-year strategy, and by the time you're ramped up on it, um, that wave may have passed, and it's time for something new. So... It is so hugely important for discussions to happen between those two groups, all the while keeping in mind that the whole reason the the growers and the brewers are talking is to satisfy the consumer demand in the first place. Right. So um, very often, I'll say, both brewers and growers are also consumers. You don't really get into this if you don't have a love of beer. Um, so that's almost more dangerous than if you were agnostic to to the beer trends um in the sense that if you love 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 ipas and you're a brewer are you going to have a menu with 
15 IPAs on it, uh, you might. Is that really what every kid? I, I know James is like like dry gagging over there. Um, if you, <laughs> oh, it's not dry gagging. No, it's, it's, not. It's, it's full on wet gagging. <laughs> um, the the point being that um, we're all beer geeks, and I say that with affection. The term beer geek, we we all love we love beer. Um, however, you can't. Um, you have to be cognizant of the end consumer when you are the brewer. And when you're the grower, to make sure that you are are looking ahead to see those trends and not just making for you. Um, it, it's such an important thing in, in this industry, in any industry, that you make sure that you put your personal taste to the side. And uh, you got to love what you do, certainly, but you've also got to understand your market. And and a fair part of these conversations will will always come back to, well, what about the consumer? Are, are we, you know, are we doing the right thing for the consumer? Is the consumer going to bite onto this hook that we're dangling to them? That's a really interesting, that's an interesting point. Um, I think that we as consumers, and not just a beer, but just as consumers in our community, uh, we, in Madison in general, uh, you know, we're, we have, you know, one of the largest farmers markets in the nation. Um, we've got so many community supported agriculture farms. Uh, it's just ridiculous. Um, and, and, and other farmers markets in outlying areas and people seem to feel very good about, you know, interacting with their farmer that goes directly to their table, but they have, as soon as you insert a, well, the lingo is value added process. So let's say you insert a baker right into the middle of that where, okay, all of the grain could have been sourced from the farm down the road, but now you have a baker in the middle. What's more important? Well, I'm going to go buy bread from my local baker because the baker's local, but what about the ingredients? So if you took, if you were a, a baker at home and that's what you were doing and you were buying grain, you would go, you know, the, and local was important to you you would go to the local, you know, grain farmer or local flour mill. But as soon as we insert that, that value added or that craftsperson into the middle, it oftentimes, you know, obscures the, where are those ingredients came from? And if that's really what's important to you, mm -hmm. right? And I don't, I don't know how else to explain that, but I see it all the time where, yeah, I've got to have my carrots from the local, you know, sustainable farm down the road, but, you know, I get my, wherever my bread from, uh, you know, this local baker, but that wheat is coming from God knows where. Yeah. It, it's hard to know where, you know, when you start getting down to the, the nitty gritty there, where all those ingredients are coming from. And, you know, this is a, this is a big question, but is that important? Is it important to see, to know that your pint is completely grown and brewed from from everything that's within an X mile radius? It's not always possible. Um, no, absolutely not. No, it, it isn't. It isn't always possible. But this, but the the idea that I was trying to convey is that um, many many breweries, you know, especially especially the non distributing like tap rooms, hang their hat on. You know, we're part of the community. We're local. Come support, you know, drink local. I see those bumper stickers all over the place. Drink local. Mm -hmm. But your involvement in your community as a consumer doesn't stop 
at the tap room. Where are those ingredients coming from? Yes, you're supporting local business, but the business you're supporting that's local could also be supporting local business. Yep. Right. So having that follow through uh, from consumer, right, all the way back to raw ingredient supplier is something that isn't e a easy to highlight and illuminate. Um, but B is, I, be, I believe, because it is hard, right, it's, it's tough to do, that people choose not to pay attention to it. That's fair. That's fair. And, it, you know, it's easy enough to say, oh, well, I'm supporting my local, my local brewery and that's, that's good enough. I'm still contributing back to the local economy and, and all that. And that's all true. It's all absolutely true. Um, it, it, it gets into a discussion that um, – about uh, – from a brewing perspective, what makes sense? Because we, we've talked about this and we'll continue to talk about this. The fact that you know, how do you get your local hops into a local brewery and you know is local – enough and the answer is no i mean it always no. comes down to quality it it always it does come down to price and you will never be able to locally grow hops at a um as inexpensively and with a better margin than um those breweries can get them from the mass produced outlets um in the pacific northwest it's just economies of scale being what they are it's not possible right um but you know getting getting your local hops into that brew is uh is a challenge is a challenge, and that's not that's not to say we're disparaging the brewers by any means. They're running a business, and hops are one of many, 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 many costs that go into that. You could have the same conversation about grains and and any any other adjuncts that are being put in or anything else. See, I I, I used a brewing term there, James. You did, you did. I'm very proud of you. And you know, pretty much the only thing I can guarantee people that and consumers that is local every single time in their beer is their water <laughs> and and a lot of blood sweat and tears from the brewers mm -hmm. um but everything else beyond that in the vast majority of the time is from far reaches of the country and outside of the country <laughs> um so this concept of local let's as consumers let's challenge ourselves if that's if that's the hat that that your local brewery is hanging there or the hook that your local brewery is hanging their hat on um challenge that yeah right challenge that well we're part of the community come support us well what are you doing as the brewer to support your local agriculture community and Absolutely. how committed how committed are you to it can you have those hard conversations with, with growers to say, we really would like to use local hops, but these are garbage, right? What's mm -hmm. wrong with the hop that makes it garbage? Mm -hmm. Brewer, what are you, how are you communicating to the grower to let them know what your expectations are? Yep. It's lines of communication in, in every direction and speak up as a consumer. You know, you, you have choices for where you go to, to drink um, and and ask the questions. You the, almost every taproom I've ever been in, you know, the the brewer makes their rounds from here to there. They are busy, but they also come through and talk to folks and ask those questions. Those are those will be very engaging questions because, um, just like any other artist, and I and I will put brewers into that category. Um, they want to talk about their art. They they'd like to talk about what they've done. 
um, if they're not scrambling and there's, you know, something boiling over in the back. <laughs> um, but ask those questions and, and you can ask them politely. There's no need. Hey, where'd you get this? Um, but get engaged because the brewers like to have those conversations and, um, you know, it, it creates goodwill um, between within that relationship to understand where everything's coming from. Yeah, I think another way uh, we could highlight this interconnection is the phenomenon that has developed over the past five or six years in craft beer, which is the hop production company, uh, the big ones in their breeding program, marketing new hop varieties directly to consumers. Yep. And I, I refer to it as the whole Intel inside approach where, you know, there are folks who won't buy a computer that doesn't have that Intel sticker. And this, and this is a company that has for forever been an original equipment manufacturer who sells a part to everyone who manufactures laptops and decided to go around the company they're selling to direct to the consumer and say, hey, ask for this, ask for Intel inside. And man, it worked. And brewers are doing the exact same thing where they're, you know, if you, you know, they've created a marketing platform for brewers to say, hey, this has Citra. If you like stuff with Citra, you'll like mine. Um, It's, um, it's not that common in many industries. I mean, when's the last time you bought a um a piece of clothing because it was made from a particular type of cotton. You know, it, it doesn't happen. <laughs> it just doesn't right. happen. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna buy my new you know I'm gonna buy these new two hundred and fifty dollar sneakers because they're made with elastomers from you know whatever. This is made with elastotech elastic. Uh, really? No, yeah. you don't do that. Doesn't work. And and yet the the very very clever. Um, hops industry has managed to make this a thing and they've done a really good job at it so um you know see secret tip the the citra that you liked in one beer has so much more to do with the brewer and their creativity than it does with the fact that that was citra (laughs) that's correct um so let's talk about the up and downstream impacts of this particular example um i was just on you know perusing Facebook this morning and there was a, a brewer a friend of mine who said hey you know this new hazy New England IPA and right underneath of it said with mosaic and their logo was the tiniest little thing in the bottom corner of this post and I'm like wow that's that's impactful I mean what are they what was being conveyed to me what did I see Hazy New England IPA with mosaic, so two of the hottest things going right now. But I had to hunt around to find out who it was from, hmm. right? If that brewery's title would have been plastered up there, would that have grabbed the same attention? No, it wouldn't have. It would have said, you know, they knew what was important to people um, or the perceived importance. But the downstream impact of that, of the consumer telling the brewer in the bigger market scheme, not, you know, well, sometimes maybe personally saying, Hey, brew a hazy IPA with, with mosaic, but just in a general market sense, um, that people thinking that mosaic is just the bee's knees because of a great marketing campaign, pushing it out the Intel inside of hazy IPAs, right? The 
what's that mean for the grower? And I can tell you what it means for your local grower. It means they just got screwed because <laughs> yes. Mosaic and all these other super trendy hops are all patent protected and your local farmer cannot touch them, period. End yep. of story. We're done. So your choices, both consumer and brewer, have an immediate and direct impact on the sustainability of your local hop grower. And that's not something that's often talked about. Very true. Very, very true. It's um, Those are the sexy brands, the, the sexy um, varieties, and they are 100% off the table for your local folks. Uh, and, and most people do not know this. They have no idea. Um, and in fairness, until a couple of years ago, most people didn't know that hops had multiple varieties. So true. that whole true. concept is a new thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's... It just, it baffles me. Um, I saw just the other day in a, in a beer magazine, you know, a magazine called beer, right? It's not about brewing. It's not about, it's not an industry rag. It's to beer geeks. And there were four, count them four separate full page color, glossy ads for new hop varieties that are being released by a particular company. Wow. It's going directly to consumers. I don't get it. Is it because they they want something new? Like the consumer's like, what's new? What's new? What's new? Or are they being bombarded with new things so that they're being conditioned to say, what's new? I want the newest thing. I want the newest thing. I don't know. It drives me nuts. I, I think, you know, as a consumer, that's exactly what it is, is you want new. There's the whole walking into a into a brewery and saying, what's new? You know, I've had I've had the eight things that you've got on your menu, and I may love six of them. But what's um, you know, what else is there? Because if I because there's a new tap room opening down the road, and they'll have a whole bunch of stuff I've never tried. So it it bring comes back to that question that that you and I have had conversations around, which is what's what is more appealing to a consumer? Is it the uh, the old Cheers, the place where everybody knows your name and you're getting the consistency of something you know you like? Or is it the, ooh, something different? That's got wasabi and cucumber in it? I'll, I'll, I'll try it. Why not? How bad can it be? Well, there's that. There's the morbid curiosity part. Like, do I really want to smell that spoiled milk? But I can't help myself. Um, or, you know, the adventurous. I get it. And I'm that way, too. I love unique ingredients in beer. But if a brewer was going to use citra or a recipe that I could build for that brewer, that didn't use citra at all, but got them the same aroma and flavor profile, but used local local hops and other ingredients. They will go with the citra route because it's easy. Yeah, and that's about understanding, you know, truly understanding what you're doing with the brew kettle and and what you're going for. You know, what are you using citra to use citra for the marketing, or using it because of that flavor profile, which can be created in other ways. Right. And I don't know what answer, what the answer is. I, and I don't think it's just one, mm -hmm. but I used to, when I, when I was talking to some of our older uh, brewer customers who who no longer are, but they, I would talk about, you know, if you're an artist to use your, your term, Greg, you know, these brewers are artists. Think about your palette, right. Of colors. You're going to make a painting. You're going to brew, brew a beer and your palette is, let's say your hops. 
why why are you just stuck with primary colors? What if I could take that blue that you love, right, or that you use all the time, and add a little something else to it to make it the most vibrant, vivid blue and bring out all of those characteristics that you love about blue, but it just might not be a hop. It might be some other botanical. And that is so scary and foreign to brewers that they would rather wait and hunt around for another hop that's bred that they could put in there than they would be to go back and experiment or to do something that's a little bit off type. And it just, I don't understand it. So that's where I have a difficulty with, you know, talking to some of my brewer friends where they're saying, well, I really love this hop. And I say, what do you love about it? Well, I just, I really like it. No, it doesn't hold water for me. What is it that you like? Because there may be something better or a different way to use it that accentuates or decentuates what you like or don't like. I think there's a path of least resistance there in terms of getting to the new. Um, that, that certainly has to be part of it. It's it's easier to drop the citra in than to to answer those difficult questions of what is it about the citra. I mean, it, it could simply be what they like about the citra is the fact that there's a familiarity from other things that have been successful and they can write citra next to the name on the chalkboard, which is unfortunate because that's that's a lack of creativity right there. You're not helping me. You're not answering. You're not giving me a definitive, easy answer here. Yep. And everything has to be easy. Give me an easy button. <laughs> right. Um, but these are the kind of, I mean, because we weren't down the rabbit hole there, but these are the kind of conversations we want to be able to have, but have in a meaningful and open way and ask these tough questions. Because at every step, the person buying the pint, the brewer putting the hops in, and the grower choosing to put in varieties and try and sell to a brewer, this is absolutely highlighted here. This is not an easy, you know, uh, conversation, not easy. For, it's not difficult from a, oh boy, I'm nervous about having this, but there's so many moving parts that I, I think that we can have an open conversation about these moving parts and maybe enlighten all three groups. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. And part of that's going to be bringing in some folks other than the two of us. So, um, you know, we will bring in growers and brewers and consumers to be part of these conversations because they're they're living it. They're they're in the trenches. They're trying to do things. Um, you know, getting their feedback on some of these issues is, is really part of the conversation. And, and we're not going to pretend to solve for any of these things, but but just starting the conversation and getting people talking about it and understanding that the issues exist in the first place. Uh, uh, knowing is half the battle. Is that the old? Uh, G.I. Uh, Joe yes. routine. G.I. Joe. <laughs> you bet. So that's that's what it is. This is about having those conversations. Um, with, with that in mind, uh, and and I'll I'll repeat this multiple times, but if you found this podcast, it means you found our website, but give us some comments back on things you want to hear, things you'd like to hear us talk about. Uh, there are, we, we've forgotten more stories than we remember at this point over the years, I, I think. It's part of getting old and, yes, and completely and, and having so much beer over the years. Um, mm. But please um, tell us what you'd like to hear. Tell us what topics interest you. Tell us if there are topics that you'd like us to go deeper and deeper and deeper into because we could, um, to, to James's point, we could talk about just um, dealing with these proprietary varieties. We could do a, a, a three-hour series on that. Um, 
<laughs> just on our opinions of it, um, with with no trouble whatsoever. So we, we'd like to know what you want to hear. Yep, I would agree with that. So I would say thanks for listening. Uh, and Greg, what, what do we want this gang to do? Um, well, you know, get on that website, give us comments, certainly subscribe, tell your friends about us. Um, and again, remember, we're, we're, we will touch, as we did today, on, on every component um, of this. Uh, the brewers, the growers, and the consumers, um, all three vital. If you're any of those three components, there's something for you here to listen to. So subscribe to the podcast, sign up for our mailing list on the website as well, that way as we release new podcasts, we'll let you know. As we do other things, we'll let you know. Maybe we'll be speaking in your area. Maybe there'll be some other benefit going on that we can uh, clue you in on. We we want to hear from you, and we want to make sure that uh, you can hear from us if needed. Outstanding. So, gang, I would say until next time. Yes. Thanks, everyone. I'm Greg. That's James. Uh, we've enjoyed talking at the microphones and making it to your ears. <laughs> <laughs>